Hello humans, welcome to The Frontline, a leadership and business podcast brought to you by Peregrine Corporate Services, an Isle of Man based fiduciary provider. My name is Martin Hall and thanks for listening. So today I'm joined by Jonathan from Sanctum Healthcare. Thanks for joining us today, Jonathan. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. No pleasure. Uh, as I'm sure many listeners and, and viewers know, uh, 18th to 24th of March is Mental Health Awareness Week. So we thought it was a good opportunity to, ch- to chat to Jonathan about the work he does and mental health, which continues to, uh, and rightly so, be in everyone's eye line and continue to, 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 to raise the awareness of that and, and educate, I guess, everyone more around that. So, so yeah, as I say, thanks for joining us. Perhaps just to set the scene initially, a bit of, bit of backdrop. Where were you originally brought up in your schooling and early education? Yeah, of course. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm a Yorkshireman, so brought, brought up, born and bred in, in Sheffield and uh, was, was raised in the leafy suburbs um, of, uh, of Sheffield in a place called Forward. And, you know, my father was a businessman. He was an international businessman, very successful, worked in the IT and tech industry. Um, my, my mother worked in a bank, although spent most of the time bringing me and my, my brother up. But my, my father was somebody that I looked up to, very proud man. And he was somebody that spent quite a lot of time overseas working and traveling and, and, and doing his thing. And, uh, you know, I aspired to, to have a, a similar career, yeah. which I did within the same industry, but no, nowhere near as much international travel, unfortunately. It was more up and down the UK, but um, came from a, a happy house in many respects. Although it, when I was about 13, I started to realize that there were some cracks within the family and was watching my mother's health deteriorate, which was primarily through drink. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, by the time I was 14, 15, you know, I realized that she was pretty ill and um, used to find myself coming home from school and my mum in some real states, you know, passed out on the floor and on a couple of occasions, which was terribly sad to see. Can I ask at that age, is that obviously you look back now with eyes, you know, at that time, how was that just part of life or was it was this, this is unusual this? Well, there was a degree of shame around it. There was a degree of embarrassment around it. I didn't understand it. I didn't know what it was. I thought it was a choice for her. And I, you know, now know that, that, that it wasn't, you know, she was desperately ill and she wasn't able to accept her, 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 her position and, and her situation and, and access the right type of help. Um, you know, my, 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 my parents then divorced and, um, it, it, that was the catalyst, I think for, for, for my, um, downward spiral. Yeah. Okay. And my mum's deterioration and we were on the same, same path. Although I was looking at my mum going, I'm never going to be like that, you know, because I thought I was special and different and had some kind of superpowers. But, you know, when I, when I first found, uh, alcohol, it was something that changed me changed how I felt, you know, from a, from a quite a shy, reserved boy, low self-esteem, low self-worth, struggling in the classroom and to connect with people, putting a drink inside me, lit me up like a Christmas tree. Right. Okay. And was that, that I assume then late teenage years where that 
realization that alcohol can be absolutely yeah so you know from from moving into secondary school was 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 the the change for me and and starting to see the bright lights in the big city uh of, of sheffield as it were you know with people coming from different di different areas and um you know with different ideas and different ways of life and uh it was it was very exciting to to see and be a part of of, of a different type of subculture which was pretty much around the rave scene at the time oh right okay okay yeah. so did you end up going to uni when you left school did you end up going to uni? no no I, my, my my i was at school to socialize i wasn't at school to learn, learn. Yeah, right. and so, uh, so you left you left school and then what was it into into i suppose i guess at that age then it's not i want a career in this or that because i guess looking back maybe it was all blurry in regard to this is you know socializing and, and this is the bit i enjoy and i just need money is that i need to get a job for money oh, i was i was fortunate enough that my father teed up a job for me so i left school and went straight into a career in in it mm -hmm. and very quickly learned that i was uh, i was very good at selling didn't particularly enjoy it or, or or like what i was i was selling from a product perspective but i was very good at it so i'm very very quickly able to generate good revenues, uh, income stream, you know, bought that Peugeot 205 GTI at the age of uh, 18 and, and, and life was pretty good at the time. And uh, uh, were you, I presume that the, the drinking and the addiction nature just ca carried on in the background, you were functional in, in your day-to-day -day life, but that was... I mean, it was relatively, I'm, I'm, I'm not necessarily sure I was, I, I was functioning on some level, I, I was getting out of bed and I was going to work, but you know, by the time I was 25, I, I was, you know, I was in the madness. I was, I was drinking every day. I was using cocaine regularly. Um, the, the, the moment where I realized, you know, looking back now was as a real um, low point was driving down, driving down to work with, with a 20 pound note rolled up in a bag of Coke at seven o'clock in the morning. Wow. wow. You wow. know, so after a 24 hour, you yeah. know, session. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So, and around you then, if you don't mind me asking, I appreciate it. it's personal. I mean, your father, I assume your mother, has your mother gone at this stage? So my my mum and father had separated. I was living with my mum, but my mum had had enough of me and put me over to my father, so I was living with him. Um, but she, you know, my mum carried on doing what she was doing. She was working and drinking and... Um, we had a relationship of sorts, but again, it's still for me, I didn't know what was going on. I had no idea that it was, that it was addiction, alcoholism. Um, I, I didn't realize any of that. I, I was crippled with anxiety. And the only way I knew how to reduce my anxiety was to ha have a couple of cans of beer. Um, yeah. And my, my anxiety would subside, but it come back with a vengeance in the morning. So. Right. And that's, that was just obviously a daily cycle then of that, that happening. Daily cycle. And, and, daily cycle. It, during that time, is the people around you going, you got a problem, or they just, was anyone I was, trying to... Well, I was very good at hiding it, and what I would do is I'd, I'd knock around with people who were doing the same thing as me. Right. You know, it normalised my behaviour. You know, it reframed it in my mind that this was okay. You know, I had a... You know, I knew things were, were probably out of key a little with society. I was all right with that, because I didn't like to conform to society, right. you know. I always had a problem with authority and would be a bit what I class myself as a free spirit in many respects. So, 
you know what I what I did and 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 how I did it was regulated by the people who I I did it with. Okay, and and do you remember the age then when? I appreciate get, getting over or getting through addictions an ongoing cycle where that point was that I, I need some help here and well I still didn't realize I needed help until my father intervened and um, he, he came to me one day and said you know you, you need some help and we went through quite a, a difficult conversation and um, but I still really struggled with coming to terms with the fact that I was and I use the word now regularly, and I have no issue with saying this about myself, but I didn't at the time accept that I was addicted. No. You know, I just thought it was a way of life. I was in a sales environment. We were having a good time. All my friends were, and that's just how it was. And it was all right to party from Thursday to Sunday, Monday morning. Yeah, yeah. how it was but by the time I got to a place I was 30 years old my dad intervened and he said to me listen son you, you need some help um I was reluctant but I agreed because my life had, it had just gone to pieces you know I've been been banned from driving um I'd lost a job my world had got very small and I accepted the chance to go to rehab I went to South Africa I was very very fortunate indeed that I got the opportunity to go there and I was there for four months in, in rehab. Right. Okay. And, the, and part of that rehab process, that is that, I guess part detox, but also an edu then that start of that education process of what addiction is and getting you to understand that. Huge education. I mean, that's what it was for me. It was a, a spiritual awakening, if I may call it that it was an opening of the mind. Um, and it allowed me to, see my life for what it was and, and, and my illness for what it was and, and, and that it wasn't a choice. It was an illness. You know, addiction is recognized by the World Health Organization as a disease. And, um, you know, not many people know that. But, you know, once I understood that, I could almost forgive myself for some of the behaviors and some of the things that I did, because it, it wasn't necessarily that I had a, um, issues with, with morals or ethics. It, it was the fact I was just, you know, just just a, a bad egg it was the fact that you know when I put a drink inside me or a substance that that, that I had a change in chemical balance in the brain yeah, yeah. which which I lost all perspective with so you know I, I I would do what I did but the thing is once I put a drink or drug inside me you know it, it was about then the obsession and the compulsion to get more and more and more and more you know until I either passed out or fell asleep so being over there and being able to look at it and look back at it with guidance and support and the, in a therapeutic environment, I mean, was life changing. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. And we'll come back to, back to I suppose, me, the, that aspect of mental health in, in, in a couple of minutes. Just to then, I suppose, looking at the career wise of things and as a, and obviously what you do now, how did that sort of from that period up to today, really, how, how, how did that timeline move? Yeah, well, it's, it's a good question. And, you know, for me, part of my problem is I was never feeling particularly fulfilled. You know, when when money becomes the only single factor for work, you know, it, it starts to beg the question as to whether it's right for me. And that, that's what, what happened. I mean, I'd, mm. I'd set up my own business and things were going really well. Um, but that business, unfortunately, I had to put into voluntary liquidation. But uh, that was also due to a, a relapse where I'd picked up drink again. So 
everything changed again. But um, at the time I got back into recovery and stopped drinking was at that time I decided to move into mental health and work, work and, you know, my, my primary purpose really in life now is to, is to help, help the still suffering. Um, you know, and those people who've got poor mental health or addictions to show them there's a way out of it really. And that's, that's what I did. And through my experience and then through my network and then through my development of, of, of knowledge in this space, I was able to start to build a new career for myself, yeah. um, which is one that, that, that works with businesses commercial businesses and works with high net ultra high net worth families uh, and those people that need absolute discretion and off-grid support and that and that well can you maybe talk a little bit more about how that that process works what is that so it might be you go into a company with 40 employees to try and help the employees roll out a program how, how does that and, and similar with that with the i guess dealing with individuals who want discretion at a high sure. level well the 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 how you know at the end of the day the solution is the same whether you're working with somebody in a business or you're working with an individual private family you know what needs to happen is 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 pretty much the same of course there are different levels of of uh, exposure and different levels of, of of illness and where people are on their journey you know we can talk about you know going into a business and being able to provide education workshops and being able to share experience but also you know, helping people to come up with a, a very robust um, strategy that, that will help them to ultimately, um, from a commercial aspect, save money, for example. Because if we're putting in a, you know, a very solid framework to support employees who may be challenged with, um, you know, anxiety, for example, or, or, or depression, whether that be work-related or whether that be from a bereavement or a family issue, whatever it might be, you know, we are able to um, work with them and create a solution that's right fit for that business and then for that individual. Yeah. So what we're all about doing is providing very bespoke services for mental health and addictions. Okay. Um, so we've, we've got a business that is regulated by the, CQC, which is the Care Quality Commission. Uh, they regulate all NHS and private independent hospitals. Um, we're based up in Cheshire, so just outside Manchester. We, we've, we've formed um, an expert team, multidisciplinary team of psychiatrists, psychologists, mental health nurses, recovery coaches, personal trainers, nutritionists, functional medicine experts, you know, We've got a, a, an unbelievable team of experts that we can deploy on different levels. Yeah, yeah. So whether it's working with an exec team, board level, shop floor, you know, we can we can create something that that, that meets the needs. Yeah. Okay. And then expand a bit. You touched in there about levels of levels of mental health health health. Where when you look at that scale, where I suppose it's so broad, isn't it? Uh, from people like you mentioned there, I guess on not one end of the scale, but there's an element of they got some some small level of anxiety, perhaps when when the stress in the environment uh, that that brings on poor mental health to the to I guess the, the other or the, the other not the other end, but more more on the other side of the scale of addiction. 
uh, side of things. So I assume you see, see a full scope of a scope of that. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, low-level anxiety, you know, needs a solution. Full-blown alcoholism needs a solution. You know, being able to create that dependent on the on the individual's needs is, is, is certainly something we can do. I mean, if you give me give you an idea, one in six workers experience depression, anxiety, or unmanageable stress at any one time. You know, that's a big number. Yeah. I was going to say, I'd imagine there's a lot that's, I use the word undiagnosed. People just think it's, this is just part of life and I need to, need to get through it. And well, there is that. And unfortunately we see, and I, I know through my own experiences that, that through fear, we accept the situation that is presented. You know, I remember some mornings when the anxiety was really high, not being able to get out of the house. And having to crawl on my hands and knees to get into my car, wow. to drive to work, and then experiencing unbelievable physical pain, um, heart murmurs, you know, it, it was awful. And, mm. you know, that was my experience with anxiety. You know, there, and there are, again, there are different levels of anxiety and, and there are different levels of stress. You know, there are different levels of trauma, how you may experience something versus how I may experience the same thing. Maybe yeah. very different. Yeah. You know, when we talk about trauma, we don't necessarily need to have, have witnessed death. You know, trauma could be something, um, you know, much less significant than that. But affects me greater than you seeing that yeah 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 and do you think uh, the imprint of i mean when you when you're growing up and in that that age where i always feel your brain's being molded in those you know er, early years that, that that when you see those traumas that that has a potentially a bigger impact than you know a trauma today whatever that trauma might be from, sure. from confrontation with your parents or whatever that or between them agree completely completely i mean we we work with many clients and, and we're, we're always looking for what we call these adverse childhood experiences. Those things that will have shaped us in some way, shape or form, whether that's from a parental perspective or that's something that happened at school from, from a, an authority figure or whether that's us from, from being bullied or something, you know, that we found difficult to deal with at that time that we internalize rather than externalize through conversation because trying to find the words sometimes can be extremely difficult. Mm. So being burying that, not acknowledging it or ever opening up as we can sometimes describe as Pandora's box for fear of what might happen or come out, mm. you know, we keep it down and we keep it hidden and we keep it what we believe contained Okay. And those feelings can come out sideways, but they are compounded over time by different experiences that happen to us that can result in anger, aggression, frustration, overeating, overexercising, yeah. overthinking, overdoing, you know, lethargy, you know, you name it. There are lots of different types of symptoms that have different types of root cause. Yeah, yeah. I find it uh, interesting. I don't have children myself. I, I know you mentioned earlier that you that you did that. Knowing that that 
your actions as a parent have such and I mean it's not it's not breaking news and impact on your child but the effects and your actions on a daily basis as a parent leaves that you know an indelible imprint on your children do you, you know as a parent yourself do you does that often give you pause to go about your own and your own actions more so than perhaps a normal maybe you haven't got a comparison but the normal normal person is perhaps not educated so thoroughly i guess in that in that area absolutely absolutely i mean every action causes a reaction doesn't it mm. you know and 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 how i behave how i conduct myself um which i try to do with with humility acceptance dignity and grace today um is all geared towards me being comfortable in my own skin yeah. that hopefully projects positively onto my children and, and other people that I meet along the way. I'm, my life is so different to how it was when I was drinking to, to how it is today. Um, and for me, you know, as I talked about my primary purpose in helping others, if I'm able to reduce the stigma in my own household around addiction and mental health, okay, and have the ability to share openly about what happened for me and to me yeah. hopefully will break the cycle or at least at very least be able to allow my children to know that it's okay to talk and that it's good to talk. Yeah. So, you know, I, through the wonderful tools that I've learned over the years from some phenomenal people that I've met on my journey, I'm able to implement them here in the house. And I've got a phenomenal wife who, who is, who is um, you know, along the same sort of path as me. Uh, in, in terms of how she wishes to educate and, and support the children. Yeah, okay, interesting. So when we look at then, we look at one of our key points we talk about in the podcast is communication. In regards to, I suppose, employers listening that want to, you know, I think it's obviously on most employers' radar about staff mental health. Kind of you have to give them kind of a tick list of things they should always be looking at and trying to implement and, and do. What would they be? Right, good question, good question. So, you know, everybody has mental health and like physical health it fluctuates along a spectrum from from good to poor and work can have a very significant impact and it can promote well-being or trigger problems now it's really important that organizations are on board with supporting their staff i mean as as they'll they'll be able to tell us and i know from running my own business from a cost perspective it's better to keep staff than have to fire and rehire because the cost of, well, um, rehiring for a start, retraining, reintegrating back into the team, whether they work or not, recruitment fees, and everything else that goes with that. You know, it can be very disruptive and upset the equilibrium within an organization. So what we've got to do is um, help organizations to understand that, particularly from a cost perspective, which we can do. But from a corporate social responsibility perspective, of course, you know, what we've got to be able to do is do the right thing by our um, um, employees. Now, lots of businesses are, are training mental health first aiders, which is, which is great. But it shouldn't stop there. And it shouldn't just be a tick box exercise. So I can put my head on the pillow at night and go, yeah, I'm doing something about it. For me, this is about, you know, people who are experiencing it 
to have the support of their co-workers and their employers yeah. to be able to talk about their experiences and to talk about their, their, their poor mental health in a way that destigmatizes this within the businesses yeah. and within organizations because you can have the best plan in the world but if there's nobody actually talking about it right for fear of judgment then you know we're not doing a particularly good job are we yeah okay yeah and, and i was going to kind of mention about employee employers i suppose seeing signs of perhaps me mental health issues within the business or within individuals of the business but, but i guess it's it's less about that and more just creating the environment that like you say, they feel free either they can talk within that environment or are comfortable enough that they can go to outside the environment and talk about it to, to the right people. Absolutely. And, you know, we know key, key triggers um, for, for stress, uh, anxiety and, and, and upset along hours, no breaks, unrealistic expectations and deadlines, high pressure environments. Yeah. Poor working environments, and we're, we're sat today in a in, in a situation where we are all isolating. We're working from home. We're doing the best that we can with the tools that we've got, you know. And and it's it's about looking at the situation as it is today, and going, oh, am I doing enough? Are we doing enough? You know, it's Mental Health Awareness Week. It's about kindness this year, you know. But for me, it's about asking simple questions like, you know, how are you? Hmm. You know, I'm framing it like not not not. Are you okay? Because someone just go, yeah, I'm okay. You're asking a closed question, open questions. How yeah. are you? How are you finding it working from home? Yeah. You know, allow yourself to be able to, to, to take three to five minutes to engage with somebody. Yeah. I'd imagine with the, with obviously the lockdown, which is, you know, starting to, to, to get a little easier, but ultimately for the last eight, 10 weeks, people have been at home isolating and, I guess that that has added well for sure it's added added an extra a level of uh, I mean there's been a lot around about you know making sure you, like you say you get away from your desk because your desk is your home and those types of things but you can see a, I guess and I don't know whether you've seen already a, an additional fallout of the, the the situation of being locked down sadly yes mm. there has been an increase in inquiries um, which can be I didn't realize that my wife drank quite as much as she did yeah. to I didn't realize my husband worked as many hours as he does yeah. to just this feeling of destabilization in these uncertain times as to what the you know the financial future looks like you know what's going to happen it's the fear of the unknown I mean a lot of people really struggle with keeping things in the day and, and, you know, organizations that are looking at their, their forecasting and that, that has changed dramatically and they're going to have to have some very difficult conversations, you know, and potentially, you know, after furloughing is whether or not they're going to have to lose some of that headcount. Mm -hmm. So, you know, those kind of stresses and worries, okay, um, can exacerbate ill mental health if somebody is susceptible and will increase drinking. So, for example, or it will increase food intake or, or the, the, the use of mobile gambling on apps, you know, whatever it might be to change how I feel and escape what's going on for me here yeah. by finding another outlet. I, I uh, on a personal level, I find that 
when uh, when stress is around and i i find my, my i'm most productive when i get into what i call i call you know i try and track it myself good habits of you know eating at the right times eating the right food i guess they're all general i suppose foundations that you would put as any part of principles that you talk to people about absolutely i mean water rather than you know fizzy pop as an poor example but that type of you know well, of course. I mean, in, in, in every situation, it's, 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 it's important to understand you, for example, and, 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 and rather than having a sort of a very general, you know, everybody should be doing this or everybody should be doing that because, you know, what somebody eats may be good for one, what somebody eats may be not so good for the other, mm. you know, and, and, and this is the, I suppose, the, the piece that makes us very different to traditional providers in this industry is that we offer a very comprehensive assessment you know from a psychological physical emotional and spiritual perspective to to look at things like dna and genetic markers we look at neurological uh, markers we look at the physical elements and the physiology we look at the gut we look at what's happening there how are people metabolizing different types of foods and where they have got sort of nutritional imbalances for example that we need to recalibrate with different types of supplements um, and looking at that from a, from an emotional perspective and are they talking um, are, are they, are they, are they able to, you know, appropriately communicate what's going on for them yeah. uh, in a way that allows them to feel comfortable and confident that they are able to reach out, you know, looking at that spiritual intervention, looking at yoga, meditation, mindfulness. That, I mean, there are so many things that, that each person could look at. And it's wonderful to have all these options available to us today yeah. because many people will say, oh, you know, I've got a therapist. And you go, okay, what's your therapist for? What does your therapist specialize in? What does your therapist do? What are their qualifications? You know, what have you gone to them with? What's your presentation? And sometimes the match can be, you know, miles apart. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which can sometimes have an adverse effect. Okay, interesting. So it's interesting that you mentioned the, the gut because I'd seen something over the last few months about they're talking about the gut being like your second brain. And the, yes. Uh, yeah, and the effects of what goes in there and what, what's going on in there has a massive impact on what's upstairs or going on upstairs. Hugely. Well, when, when you, when you, when we talk about anxiety, you know, and, and nervousness, it, it, it's here, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It comes from here. Mm. You know, we don't feel it in our elbow. It, it, it's centered here. And, and this is the part of, we have to look at it from a 360 degree perspective. Okay. There's not a single solution for um, overcoming mental health. There has to be a, a, a multi and interdisciplinary approach mm -hmm. to looking at all of those elements I just described there. Yeah. You know, what we can do on a nutritional level and a functional level and looking at the gut can have such a huge impact on, on sleep and on, on concentration and, and on interaction, yeah. and energy on all of those wonderful things there as well as then looking at it from a psychological perspective and being able to unpick some of those adverse childhood experiences that we're carrying around with us, yeah. you know, that are serving us in a negative way, that are tapping into that, but we don't really know where they're coming from or what it is. 
Yeah. Okay. And how much of of your or your view on the uh, when you look and we talk about employers helping employees, how much uh, how much emphasis do you place on ultimately individual responsibility for? Look, this is my life. I, you know, I I need to make my you know I need to consciously think about my own mental health and and take response ultimate responsibility for that. Well, it's a good question, and I suppose it goes back to the beginning of where we started this. It's about education. Mm. You know, people do, of course, need to take responsibility. You know, my recovery is my responsibility. It's not yours. It's not my wife's. But all I know is that without it, I haven't got all of the wonderful things that I have today. So it's my responsibility to, to maintain good health and optimize it where I can and take responsibility and ownership for that. Getting somebody to a place of... of there's sort of three stages to it. You know, you've got your, your acknowledgement. Well, actually, do you know what? Somebody may say, I'm not feeling great. I am a little bit overweight. I'm not sleeping particularly well. I do feel stressed. I'm suffering terribly with these deadlines. I'm self-imposing upon myself. And my relationship isn't really good at the moment. So, you know, there are seven things that I've just mentioned there, which I'm sure people who are listening would probably be able to tick off two or three of those at very least. And then it's being able to help with that. So somebody can do that. So there's a degree of acknowledgement. You then move into acceptance. You then move into action. And then the action comes. And we go, actually, I'm going to try something a little bit different here. So this is all about opening people's minds up, right? You can't graft new ideas on a closed mind. And if so, we, you know, and we only know what we know. And if we're from an environment that it's okay to drink, it's all right to shout. It's all right to be angry because we normalize it because it's every, my family are like that. My friends are like that. It's just how it is. It's an aggressive environment. You know, whatever it might be, we're accepting of that. Not until we see something else and how it is, are we able to then think about how that might impact us in a positive way. So it's all about education. It's all about being able to help somebody feel comfortable to approach the business, HR, uh, or an independent service that are supporting them with, 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 a, with a concern that they may have got. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think there's loads more we could dig into. I don't want to keep people's time up. So, uh, no, I appreciate it. I, generally speaking, people want to reach out to you. What's the best way they can reach out to you, Jonathan? Yeah, they can email me. That's no problem at all. Shall I give you my email address? We'll, we'll add it. I'll get it off, offline and we'll add it in the footer of the uh, notes. Uh, yep. so obviously, you've got a website, I guess, we can direct people to. Yeah, we have sanctumhealthcare.co.uk. You can email me. You can phone me. It's always good. We're happy to have the conversation in the first instance, whether you're an individual or whether you're a business. If, if, if you want to call, have a chat, just share some information and we can talk it through and find out whether we're a good fit. If we're not, we will we'll signpost you to somebody that is. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's about that, like you say, about that education, isn't it? Yeah, ask the question. That's what we've got to do. Just ask the question. Great. Well, thanks for joining us today. It's much appreciated of your time. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening, everyone.